Some folks, sometimes we, we think about worship, and I know not everyone is, is uh, used to worship. I know the first time I got out of a Baptist church and, and found out that worship wasn't three songs, verses one, two, and four, and found out that worship was something else. And, uh, and, and sat into in a church, and you know all the people were standing, and all the people were clapping, and some of the people were dancing, and a lot of the people were shouting, and I wasn't one of them. I was very quiet, just kind of taking it all in and observing. And uh, boy, how far we've come, huh? I was thinking about this in the, as we were going through worship uh, one of these times. There are, uh, you know, why do people stand when they worship? Have you ever asked that question? Why do people stand up when they worship? Because there is nothing in the Word of God that says, Thou shalt stand when thou, worship, when thou worships. Is there, I mean, it's not in. When thou shalt worship, thou shalt stand. There isn't anything in it. And I just began to kind of comb through the Word of God in my, in my mind. And you know, there are only two positions of worship ever recorded in the Word of God. Only two. First one is kneeling. How many times did they kneel before Jesus in worship? How many times did they kneel before an angel and worship? And what did the angel do? Picked him up. No, don't worship me. Don't worship me. The other position, you'll see it all the time in heaven. If you ever see a worship service going on in heaven in the Word of God, what position are they in? There's only one position I have ever seen people in, in, in heaven worshiping as a group. I mean, maybe one time they were, they were kneeling, but almost all the other times... They were standing. They were standing. But there is not one place in the Word of God that says, Thou shalt stand or thou shalt kneel. If we ever worship and we're all standing and you get tired of standing, you go ahead and sit down. Build up your endurance. You know, you stand for five minutes, one service. Next minute, next service, you can stand for seven. You just, you just go on. You don't, you don't worry about it. But I just was, was thinking, I just thought I'd throw that out to you. Sometimes I'm thinking about something, and some means somebody else is thinking about it too. So We are going to sort of get back into our regular scheduled series. But I wanted to overflow a few things from the week that we just finished with Jay and Tammy. It was a good, good week. How many, I, I just really appreciate all the support you folks gave, not only in, in being here, but helping out with all the things that went on from the, uh, the ushers and the and the greeters, and the cleaning up, and the, oh, just everything. Worship, every night you guys just did a great job. Back there in the sound, and, the, and running the computer, and I'll tell you what, just so many people involved in so many ways, and we really appreciate everyone who was, who was taking care of that. But we're going to be in a number of different places in Scripture, uh, so you can either bounce around in your Bibles, or I put all the references in your, in your Bibles. If you'll notice that I made a change this time, there are some references that are in bold. That's because they're the ones we're going to look at. The ones that are not bolded are just as they're important. <laughs> okay? They're still good, but you can go home and look them up. We're just going to refer to those. There was an obituary that was written that was basically written to make you stop and think. Here's what it said talking about a man who died. He said he brushed his teeth twice a day. The doctors examined him twice a year. He ate low-carb, low-fat every day. He gave up his tonsils, his... Uh, I have no idea what that is. His gallbladder and traded in a few worn-out glands. He golfed, but never more than 18 holes, as in all things in moderation. 
He got eight hours of sleep every night. He slept with the windows open to get plenty of fresh air. He carried an umbrella in case of rain. He didn't smoke, drink, or chew, or run around with those who do. He drove the speed limit. He jogged and did weight training five days a week. He was set to live a hundred years. He is survived by 18 specialists, three surgeons, four health institutes, six gyms, and numerous manufacturers of health food and vitamins. <laughs> I'll get you thinking a little bit, isn't it? How many, uh, don't, don't show your hands, but how many have ever uh, pulled up and, you know, taken some vitamins, taken some, some nutrition uh, supplements, or... Uh, taken to an exercise program or cut out fats or included something else, all for the purpose of staying healthy. And basically, you have absolutely no idea whether it's going to help you out or not. You will shell out all kinds of money for vitamins because someone said that they will help you. And they may. I'm not saying that they won't. They, they may help you. You will uh, give up eating pizza to go out and have carrot sticks. Because you think it's going to help you. There's a whole lot of things that we do. And, uh, and you know, we, I, I saw this article that was written in one of the uh, Philadelphia sports uh, websites. They were evaluating some trades. How many of y'all know it's easier to evaluate a trade after the fact than it is during? Well, they were evaluating a certain trade where the uh, Eagles had traded up in a draft to get a certain player and gave up some draft picks to get to, to move up. And so they evaluated who they got against the people that other teams got with those draft picks. And in this particular case, it looked like the other teams made out better with the three people they got than the one that we did. And so how much easy that is. But as I began to think about that, you know what, folks? We are always making trades. We are constantly making trades. We just don't always think about it. As trades. How many remember that, that show, Let's Make a Deal? When I was a kid, go, is it still on? Uh, when I was a kid, who was the guy? Who was, wasn't it the first game show? I, I, I think that was, was that the first game? It was not the first game. Who was, what was the first game show? Really? I thought, I thought Let's Make a Deal was, a, was uh, well, at least one of the first game shows anyway. And who was the guy who, who, who did it? Monty Hall. Yeah, he was a well-known Surely. And, you know, Monty Hall would come up and, you know, the people decked out in these crazy outlets. Who in the world would want to go on TV wearing a dice? Or uh, you know, this is things that came up. I don't know who came up with these things. I would not want I don't care how much you're going to pay me. I'm not showing up in some of those costumes. But anyway, you know, they would, he would come on up and he would give them an envelope of $200. All right. Now you can keep that $200 or you can trade it for this box that Carol Merrill is uh, standing next to and. And you have to decide whether you want to keep the $200 or trade it in for the box. And so, uh, you know, they're all going, trade, trade, no, stay, stay. You know, they, you know how the deal goes on. And the whole show is about, will you trade what you have for what you don't know? And sometimes you did pretty good. Sometimes in that box was a whole vacation. Sometimes in that box was nothing of value at all. Sometimes you'd, uh, you know, curtain one, two, or three. And, you know, you pick curtain number three, and behind it is a farmer milking a cow. I remember seeing that one. <laughs> and, you'd, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't get anything out of that. And sometimes he'd feel bad for you. He said, look, I'll tell you what, you can trade what you got, 
I'll take that off your hands, and you can have this instead. And, of course, they would always trade that, and they'd come out away with something anyway. But, you know, we're always making a deal. The problem is we don't always realize we are making a deal. We don't always realize that we are trading things. You are always involved in trades. Some of them are with your physical body. You are involved in trades with your physical body. We'll go back to the, how many of you have ever decided, I am going to exercise. I'm going to walk. I'm going to Zumba. I'm going to uh, uh, whatever it is that you're going to do. You're going to, I'm going to do this thing. Aerobics class, uh, yoga. There's all kinds of things you can do. But you have, you're going to pick one and you're going to, I'm going to do that. Now, in order to do that, every morning, every afternoon, every evening, or three days out of the week, or four days out of the week, whatever it is that you decide, you have to trade some of your time to Zumba or walk or yoga or whatever else it is that you're going to do. I've never yoged. <laughs> I don't plan to. It does not appeal to me. If you want to come and sit down and tell me all the benefits of yoga, it ain't going to do you any good. I did watch a Zumba class one time. I'm pretty sure I'm never going to Zumba. They were taking up our gym time for hockey at the YMCA. We were supposed to be playing hockey, and they're still zumba out there in the, in the thing. And it was filled with people. I think 99.8% of the people were women. The only reason it wasn't 100 was because I was there. I'm pretty sure I was the only male there. And I'm thinking, why are you guys here when we're supposed to be playing hockey? And it was my job to set up hockey and stuff like that. So, and, and once they got done, we had to take down their stage. We had to move all their equipment before we could play hockey. We didn't play hockey until later that night, but we did play. But I saw them Zumba, and it didn't appeal to me. But some of you, you may look at Zumba, that may appeal to you. You may make a decision to do it, but you've got to make some trades now, don't you? You've got to trade off some time that you are doing something else to go out into Zumba or to yoga or to walk or to do whatever it is that you were going to do. You've got to go out there and do it. And, you know, the first day is easy, easier. The second day, you know, you feel a little stiff from Zumbaing before or, or walking or whatever it was that you were doing. And uh, it doesn't quite go as, as smoothly. And you're, you're feeling like, I think I ought to just stay still and not move. But there's a trade-off. You, there, you have to have that trade. We, we like the trade-off of what exercise does. How many like the exercise, what, what trade-off exercise brings? You know, we can, we can like that. We can, we can be excited about that. You know, this, this year, I've, uh, I love to run. I've picked up more miles this year than I have in some years past, especially over the summer. I got a lot of miles in. I wanted more, but I didn't quite get, get enough. And I noticed that it had an effect upon some things because uh, all of my belts shrunk or got got bigger or something i i had them i have one belt it's on the smallest setting it has and it's still loose i had one belt i mean i like this belt and i i thought well maybe the company will make something they don't i have the smallest belt that they make and they even bragged that they put extra holes in it and i'm on the last hole so i called them up and said if i order another one can i get an extra hole put in they said no 
So if you can get find somebody in your area who will do it. So I have to actually order about get somebody else to put another hole in or if I wanted to, to, to do that, um, I'll just have an extra hole put in the, the one I got. But uh, I can't go any smaller on that stuff. That's a, but, you know, some folks, they, they like the effect that exercise can bring, but they don't necessarily want to put the time in. They don't want to make the trade-off. You have to make a trade-off on things. If you want to eat healthier, then you have to give up what you consider to be unhealthy food. If you don't want to eat healthier, then keep on eating whatever it is that you want to eat. That's, that's, but if, if you have a desire for that, you have to give up something. You have to trade. Will you trade the Big Mac for the salad? Will you do it? You know, maybe the first time is okay, but, you know, but that pizza looks good. Oh, man. And I don't know why. Why does pizza on the bad list? I never understood why is pizza on the bad list. You've got all your groups represented. You've got, you've got uh, uh, dairy. You've got grains. You've got meat. You've got vegetables. It's all on there. So uh, why is pizza bad? I think pizza ought to be at the top of any health food list. First thing you ought to go out there and get is pizza. That's on the top of my health food list. I don't know about you guys, but it's, it's the top of my health food list. I, I love pizza. But you've got to make a trade. What are you going to trade? So what we wanted to do was to take a look in the Word of God at some people who made some trades. Now, some people made some good trades and some people made some bad trades. But if we want to see the people making the trades because we're not talking about trading time for exercise or, or salads for Big Macs. We're talking about in the area of the spirit. There is spiritual development. What people made some trades in their area of spiritual development and either gained or lost. Because just as you can make trades in the area of the physical, you can make trades in the area of the spiritual. You can, you can do that. You can do it in your area of your mind. How many of y'all know when you're going to college, it was a whole lot easier to hang out with the friends than it was to stay buried in the books? You made trade-offs there, didn't you? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, I know we read this story a lot. I tell, we don't get it all. We do not understand this story fully. What you have in Genesis chapter 3 is the schemes of the devil. Has, don't raise your hand. But has the devil suckered you into a scheme this week or last week? If he did, then you don't fully understand his schemes, do you? So you have room to grow on that. This is it. This is his scheme. He does not have any other game plan. Chip Kelly is better than the devil at this stuff. Because he can come up with another game plan. The devil doesn't. He's got, he's got pretty much one, one set. He's got to try to deceive you. So he's got to try and do. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So he says to her that she, he knows is not true. Has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? No, 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 no. We can eat from some trees, just not this one. And she added, you, nor are you supposed to touch it. We don't know. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven. Did, did she just add that or did Adam tell her that when he said what God said? I don't know. Either way, it's not exactly what God said. You don't have to add to what God said. What God said is perfect. 
You don't have to add to it. Just take it. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together. Try and cover up things there. Of course, you know, the story goes on. They were walking and God came down to walk in the garden. Who told you you were naked and things like that. But here's the, here's the thing. They had something that Satan wanted. And we know from the New Testament, and the things Jesus taught us, things that Paul taught us, that what they had was the authority of the garden, the authority of the earth. They were supposed to keep it, watch it, and so forth. And he wanted that authority. He was trying to trade with them to get the ability to be here on the earth and operate. And so he traded with them, but they didn't realize they were trading. They thought they were just going to gain something. No, 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 no. If you want that, you have to give me something. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say you have to give me your authority. He just, he just gets it. Too often, folks, we're making trades and we're not realizing what's on the other side. What we're, what we're giving up, what we're losing. We are always making trades. Always. Always making a decision. You're going one way or another. Uh, I don't know if you ever, you probably have never seen this unless you have opened up a runner magazine. How many people have ever opened up a runner's magazine? Okay, not many. I didn't think it would be too many. But one of the things that they do, and I look forward to these issues, I look forward every time a running magazine comes. You know, I, I go through it just to get all the stuff out of the most. Oh, yeah, I already know that. Yeah, I already read that. Yeah. I've, I've, it's not like it's new stuff. But, you know, they just rehash a lot of the old stuff. But still, you know, you get to. But one of the things that's fun that they go through is they do a spring and a fall shoe review. And they tell you about all the new shoes coming out, what they do, what they don't do, what they're good for, and all this sort of stuff. And if you get through into, into some of these, these uh, uh, places, well, they'll have a chart. And in the chart, you make decisions. And you come down the chart and say, all right. Uh, what kind of a runner are you? Do you uh, pronate? Do you, you try and decide what you are? And you tell them, I pronate, I don't pronate, I overpronate, whatever it is that you do. All right, and it sends you in a direction. Then it asks you questions like, do you run more than 25 miles a week? Because to these people, I, I cannot believe this. They, to these people, running 25 miles a week or more is a high mileage runner. I'm still shocked at that. I was talking to another guy at the running shoe store. We were talking about 20, 20. Can you believe 25 miles? They think that's a high mileage runner. He says, yeah, I know. I can't believe it either. To us, a high mileage runner is 70 to 100 miles a week. That's a high mileage runner. We're running. I, me and this other guy, we're running 30, 40, sometimes 45 miles a week. And we consider us to be middle mileage runners. But, in, uh, but all shoes consider that to be high mileage. But anyway, you have to make a decision. You either run over 25 or you run under 25. How many people would say, yeah, I run under 25? Zero is under 25, <laughs> in case you're a wonder. So if you hit that spot, you're making a decision. You're going this direction, you're going this direction. And if you go in one direction or another, you are making a trade-off. The shoe is going to trade off something to gain what you need for that but lose something that the other shoe would have. And so it's always a trade-off. You don't, they don't tell you you're trading anything off. They just they send you over here and you go over here and then you make this one. Then they'll ask you a question, are you injury prone? 
If you're injury prone, all right, you got to go over here to these shoes. If you're not injury prone, you got to go down over here to these shoes. And then, you know, they, they have all these. Anyway, they have all these questions. You're making trade-offs all the way on through. But most of the time, most people don't think of it as trade-offs. You know, if you want a shoe that is lighter, probably it's not going to be as cushioned. If you want a shoe that is uh, flexible, it's probably not going to be something else. You're always making a trade-off. Folks, you are always making a trade-off in your life. But are you trading for something good? Or are you trading for something bad? We don't know. How many remember, remember this name? See if you, raise your hand if you do remember this name. Herschel Walker. I may have no idea who Herschel Walker is. All right, you don't have to be a football person to know what Hers- Herschel Walker was a star running back, and he was an asset of the Dallas Cowboys. He was a good running back. And so uh, Jimmy Johnson, he came to the table, he took over a losing team, and he said, what can we do with this losing team? He said, what do we have that other people want? And they said, Herschel Walker. And they knew they weren't going to win this year, so they said, all right, what can we do? Who can we trade Herschel Walker to? And so they set out, and they had, well, I think the Cleveland Browns were involved in the trade, and uh, that eventually uh, fizzled because I think it was Minnesota. Was it Minnesota that came up with a really good deal? Was it? Yeah, it was Minnesota. Okay, Minnesota came up with the best deal, and they gave everything. They gave way too much for Herschel Walker. They gave, I don't know, three first-round picks, a couple of second-round picks, and some players, and they turned some of those players into other picks. And it ended up, I think they came out with six or seven draft picks, high-end draft picks for one player. He built the team. They won the Super Bowl for a number of years based on that one trade. That was a good trade. I don't think it worked out quite as well for Minnesota. But it was a good trade for them. This is what we want. If we can trade something for something to, have, to gain great value from. Wouldn't that be better? You remember, remember trading baseball cards? I never traded baseball cards. Kind of wish that I would have now that I see that how much money they can get for them. But, you know, when I was younger, you could probably pick up a Hank Aaron rookie card for a lot cheaper uh, than, I don't know if, you know, you could have gotten it in a, in a pack, but you could have gotten it a, a pretty cheap. And I, I heard today, you know, they're, they're over $100,000. For one in good shape. Could you imagine having that? If you would have made a trade way back in the day when Hank Aaron was playing, when Hank Aaron first came into the group, and they put out a baseball card of Hank Aaron, and you made a trade for some player that no one ever heard of for a Hank Aaron rookie card, and you hung on to that rookie card until today, would that have been a good trade? That would have brought some great value. Spiritually speaking, folks, we need to make some trades and get some value. Now, there's two people that will, two, two groups that you can trade with. You can trade in this in the spiritual realm. You can trade with Satan, which is what they're trading with right here. You can trade with the enemy, and you're not going to win on that one. Or you can trade with God. How, do you know that God makes trades? We're going to go through the Word. We're going to see it. We're going to you're going to see God makes trades. He makes trades. God's trades tend to benefit both parties. The enemy's trades tend to benefit one. But here we have a trade that was made, and they gave away something that Jesus Christ would have to come back, live on this earth sinless as a man, and die on a cross to win back. Great sacrifice to get that back. So what they gave up was great. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 1, 
In the beginning, God created the heaven. Whoops, I got the wrong one in there. I got chapter one. Pull it up on the screen. This is the story of Lot. This is when Lot and Abraham are together. And uh, they both got great prosperity. They have great herds, great, great flocks, and so forth. And they have so much stuff, they determine we cannot stay together. So here we go. Abraham went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on to his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of their altar, which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Lot also went with him, or went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them, that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, the Canaanites and the Perizzites that dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and, dwe- and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked, sinful against the Lord. You all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God came down and judged those, those folks there. But at this point, Lot has all kinds of stuff, and he says, look, we've got to make a choice. You, you, you pick, I'll go the other way. And so what influenced his decision to go into the plains? What his eyes saw. He saw rich fields. He saw uh, places for the livestock to go. He decided to go there based on what his eyes saw. What should he have done? We've talked about this before. He probably should have said, look, Abraham, we need to, I need to stay with you because as long as I'm with you, I'm being blessed. That's what he should have done. But he didn't try and make it. He just said, all right, we'll separate. I can do pretty well on my own. That was one thing he traded off. The other thing was he went to the place of sin and he wasn't strong enough to stand up against it. And by the next time we see Lot, Lot has nothing left at all. He lost everything. That's, that's an amazing thing. That's a trade-off right there. Was it a good trade? No. It was not a good trade. He did not do well in this, in this trade. But do you think that he sees this as a trade? Do you think he sees any, any effect upon him spiritually? And yet many times Christians will make decisions to move to another place, to change jobs, to change all kinds, based on nothing more than money or what the fields look like. That doesn't mean anytime you change job, you miss God. Don't, don't think that. God can move you from one job into another. But listen to your spirit. Listen to God. What does God say? Is God leading you? Yeah, go ahead and take this. This is going to be good. Or is God saying something different? You need to listen to your spirit because God knows. Down the road, this isn't going to work out so well. Don't, don't trade that off. Don't trade what you have. For that, because if you trade jobs, you are making a trade. I am giving up my job to go and take this job. Is that good? How many people you all know they traded they, they traded spouses? I don't like the spouse I have. I'm gonna trade her in on the new model. I'm gonna trade him in on a new model. So they made the trade and what came, what came about? Most of the time, nothing good. 
<laughs> don't be don't be doing this. You got to realize once you make the trade. Once you make the trade. Now think about this for a minute. How, we all, most of us, have a car. When you have a car, how many of you like to take care of your car? Change your oil, you clean it out, you, you wash it, you, you do stuff with it, you take care of it. You like the car, you take care of the car. The more you work to take care of the car, the more this will mean, mean something to you. If you have that car, would you think twice about, all right, I have, a, I have this car, I'm going to trade it for this car. If it doesn't work out, I'll take it back. Because while that car is out of your possession, what are they doing with the car? What is the owner doing in the car? Are they, are they junking it up? Are they doing, they're maybe smoking in the car and you don't like the car that's been smoked in? Are they uh, uh, revving the engine in a funny way? Are they using the wrong kind of gas? Are they, uh, they're not taking care of it. When you get that car back, you're going to be saying, oh, this car's been abused. This car's been hurt. You wouldn't do that. When you get rid of that car, you're saying, I can get rid of this car. I don't want this car anymore. If I do anything, I'm going to go out and get a new car. We don't, we don't want that. When you trade something off, it's not like it's going to come back to you in the same place, in the same shape that it was before. It's going to be altered. If God gave you something, hang on to it. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Do something with it. Fix it up. Maybe you need some fixing, but, but do something with it. Fix it up. Don't just let it go. Lot should have held on to that relationship he had with Abraham. Should have held on to it. Should have found a way to do it. Joseph, we're not going to get into this one, but he had uh, Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife came in and she presented a trade. The trade did not look good to Joseph, and so Joseph went away from the trade. But she said, look, I want to, um, I, I want to give you something. I want you to give me something. But let's enjoy each other. And he said, no, 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 no. And he ran away from that trade because he saw that trade was... Bet he was going to lose something in the trade. And he didn't want to give it up. He recognized it. He saw it was a trade. And that was, that was not good. How many of y'all like to watch those, those uh, romance movies and, and things? I mean, come on, we're getting close to Christmas time. And Hallmark is coming out with new Christmas movies, right? How many of y'all like those Hallmark Station Christmas movies? I, I have to say I like them too. My wife loves them. We make sure to record them. And I, I like them too. They're, they're all right. But, you know, every time that you hit, they're all the same. They're all, they're all the same. Right? All right. All right. Here's the, you, here's the two people who should be together, and she or he is with the wrong person right now. And the whole movie is about getting that person away from the person they're not supposed to be to the person that they want to be. And over the course of the movie, you are cheering for them. Yes, please, see that he is the right one for you. You are all excited. Trade him in. He's a scum. Right? You're, you're, you're going along, you're cheering them on. Get rid of the guy, get rid of that gal is no good, she's evil. And you get upset, you get into this thing, you are cheering them on. You want them, and finally at the end of the movie, what happens? The right people get together and they live happily ever after. Right? It's that way every movie and every Hallmark one, I don't know why we have to watch the end of the movie anymore. We all know, we know in the beginning, these two people, these are the ones that are going to be together. This is how, and now Disney has picked up this pattern. Can I mention Frozen to you? Yes. I did sit through it one time. I do not know the songs. I do not have it memorized. And I don't plan to. 
But it's the same thing, isn't it? It's, 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 we want to trade that one in. You need to trade in on a better model. This, it's right there. He's right there. Why can't you see that the better models? Joseph saw this was not a good trade. And he didn't go after it. Achan. I'm not going to read the whole story. In Joshua chapter 7, verse 9. Now Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to God, to Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. This is after they lost the battle in Ai. Because God said everything that's in the city of Jericho is mine. Don't take any of it. Don't touch it. It's not yours. It's mine. And Achan says this. Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Now, if you know this story, does God make any bones about it? If you take of the accursed things, you will die. Is he not real clear about that? So when Achan took of the accursed things, should he have been clear that he was trading out his life for, (laughs) what was it? The beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. He should have been aware that he's making, but he said, I can get under the wire here. I can make this trade and still keep what I have. No, didn't work. It didn't work. He said, I covered them. There they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. That trade didn't work out. Was he making a trade? Samson. How many times did he trade off what he had to pursue some uh, foreign woman, idols, things that he should not have been doing? Judges 14, 15, and 16, if you want to read that over. Saul in 1 Samuel 13 and verse 8. Saul was supposed to wait until Samuel came to make the sacrifice. In verse 8, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Paul, Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and he, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Another way of saying this is, What trade did you make? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. Don't do anything out of compulsion. Don't do anything out of emergency. You will make a mistake. Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man of his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Here's what Saul had. Saul had the kingship. He had a promise looming in the air that you will be king. Your your lineage will be king forever. And when he was presented with this opportunity, he traded that for taking care of the situation now. And he lost. He didn't realize what he was trading away. Just because you don't realize what you're trading away does not mean anyone's going to renege on it. I'm a hockey fan. In the hockey world, one of the best trades the Flyers ever made 
was for a player by the name of John LeClaire. How many of you have never heard of John LeClaire? John LeClaire was an afterthought in a trade, so it seemed. It was just kind of tacked on in the thing, but the Flyers liked this guy. The Flyers wanted him. He became one of the best goal scorers in the league at the time. He parked himself in front of the net, and he continually put in, I believe, uh, something in the area of 40 goals a year for a, for a good while. He was a great guy. He was a great player, and they got tremendous value out of that trade. But when it became apparent what they got in the trade, do you think the Flyers said to the team they got him from, you know, we really got a lot more back on that trade. We should give you something else. They don't do that, do they? Nope, 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 nope. It's once, once you've got it. I mean, just think of it this way. If you go to the store and you make a purchase for something and you get some change, you get 13 cents worth of change in, and one of those pennies is a 1909 VDB. Or 1919, I forget which one it is. It's one of those years. It's a, there's a, it's a particularly rare penny. You don't find too many with those initials on it. If you got that in the, in the change, which is, oh, I'm sorry, you gave me an extremely valuable penny. Let me give that back to you and just give me a regular penny. How many are going to do that? No, you'll see that. Ooh. Thank you very much. And you're going home and you do something else with, the, with that particular penny later on. Yeah, there's a couple of uh, pennies out there that have extreme value. If you can get a hold of one of those, are you going to give it back? I didn't realize what they had. Just because you don't realize what you have and you trade it away doesn't mean you're going to get it back. You need to hang on to what you've got because once you trade it away, it's no longer yours. What happened to the birthright when it was traded away? When he realized, you know what? This birthright was worth something. Does he get it back? No. No. And what does God say about him when he, he despised his birthright? He, he didn't see it as something valuable. Don't be doing that. Judas, in Matthew 26, verse 6. And when Jesus was in the house of Bethany, well, we did the whole story here. Where uh, this is what sowed the seeds inside of Judas. He saw uh, a very valuable ointment being used, and to him it was wasted. And the, the enemy used this opportunity to sow something in his heart. Verse 14 Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver, and from that time he sought an opportunity to betray him. He betrays him, he gets thirty pieces of silver. Is he happy with that trade? No, he comes back and he throws this over. I, I don't want this. We don't care if you don't want it anymore. We got what we wanted. We are not trading back. We're not going to do it. Jesus in the wilderness. When Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil tried to tempt him, what is the devil trying to get from Jesus? The same thing he got from Adam and Eve. But he's trying to give him what appears to be what he has from, from Adam and Eve in order to get something in return. And he says, no, nah, huh? What you got from Adam and Eve is going to come to an end. What I have will not. And he valued what he had and he wouldn't trade it. Well, let's take a look at some good trades. Abraham, in chapter 12 of Genesis, you can go over there and take a look at that. God says to him this. He says, Abraham, leave your family. Leave your country. Leave your homeland to a land that I will show you. And what's Abraham do? He gets up and goes. Did that trade work out? He traded his homeland, he traded his family to go after the promise of God. He got rich. He got uh, nations that were born to him. 
And all the, all the world will be blessed because of Abraham's faith. Did that work out good for, for Abraham? Did the trade work out good for God? God was able to bless all mankind because of what Abraham did. Good trade, right? Elisha in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah is the he. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him and left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, please let me kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Well, he was told to go call Elisha to be successor prophet in his place. So when he comes up to him, Elisha gets to either continue to plow the fields with oxen, which is, a, you know, it's like plowing with a Cadillac. The Cadillac of things, John Deere equipment, you know, the best of the, that's available. He, he can continue to plow the fields with the best equipment available or he can give it up. And go after Elisha and, and not have it anymore. And he gave it up to follow after Elisha. Did it work out pretty well for Elisha? It did work out pretty well for Elisha. Did it work out pretty good for God? Did work out pretty good for God. Even worked out pretty good for Elijah. The disciples in Matthew chapter 4 verse 18. And Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to him follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. They had to leave something in order to follow after Jesus. Is that not a trade? Did it work out good for them? Now, when Jesus was first crucified, dead and buried, did they think it worked out well? What did they say? Let's go back to fishing. But they gave that up pretty soon. God said, I'll make you fishers of men. God wants to make us into some things, but sometimes we've got to trade off what we got. Peter. In Matthew chapter 14, we just covered this story recently. Peter is in the boat. Storms on the water, but he's in the boat. And he says, if you are Jesus, call to me. And, and he said, come. And so Peter jumps out of the boat to walk on the water. In order to walk on the water, you have to make a trade, don't you? I've got to trade the seat I have on the boat to walk on the water. Because I can't stay in the boat and walk on the water. Right? Isn't it a trade? I'm leaving this to go out and to do this. There's a trade that's involved. Did it work out pretty good for Peter? Well, for a little while. But then he made another trade. He decided to trade the faith that he had for the fear and the doubts. And that's not a good trade to make. And he began to sink. So he, his initial trade was good, but you know, he got cold feet and made another trade. The young, the young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. Now, I put this under good trades because it would have been a good trade. In, in, in uh, verse 16, if you want to go back there and read it, Jesus says to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you've got, Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the man went away sad because he owned many goods. He didn't make the trade. Jesus presented him with the trade. Same, almost the same trade that he did with the disciples. That worked out pretty good for them. He says to him, though, sell all that you got. Give it away to the poor and then come follow me. Don't just leave the nets. Sell your stuff. 
give it to the poor, and come follow me. Would that have worked out pretty well for the rich young ruler? But he didn't take it. Paul, in Acts chapter 9, is presented with a trade. Paul, you can continue to go on the way that you're going and persecuting the church, or you can give that up and come follow me. And Paul had a choice right there. And he decided, I'm going to follow him. And the prophet that was sent to Paul said, I want you to show him, uh, I want you to, to minister to him, because I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So Paul gets to suffer for the name of the Lord instead of causing suffering to other people. Was it a good trade? According to Paul, it was. Paul says, this is a fantastic trade. This is a great trade. Man, I did well in this trade. He's happy. He got beat. He got shipwrecked. He got all kinds of stuff done, and he's happy. (laughs) He's glad. Man, I'm glad I made that trade. And Paul knows something in there. All right, so there's some trades that you can, uh, and there's, there's plenty more. How many of you, your mind is starting to work now and you begin to think of some other trades that are in the, in the Word of God? There's lots of trades that are in the Word of God. How do you distinguish, how do you tell what a good trade is? How can I know if a trade that is before me is going to be any good? Because the best thing to know is, is the trade good before you make the trade? Now, we had a video clip and I couldn't get it to work. So, um, But uh, how many have seen that movie? Draft Day. Anybody seen that movie, Draft Day? We went out and we saw that movie, Draft Day. Uh, it was, what was it on TV? We saw it on TV somewhere. Boy, it was a good movie. I enjoyed that movie. But I like football. And the whole thing was about getting ready for Draft Day and who that this team has the number one pick and should we make the number one pick. It was really a fun, entertaining movie. And he's trying to determine who am I going to take with this number one pick? Should I pick this one or pick this one? Because you know, you're trying to look into the future as what a person's going to become should you invest the number one pick in this person. And uh, it was a great clip, but we can't show it to you. But if you, how many people have seen the movie Draft Day? I'll describe it to you. Boy, nobody. All right, no, no sense even describing. Boy, that would have been a brand new movie clip for you all to see too. Yeah. Well, he was, uh, he was having a conversation with the, one of the guys he was considering for the draft pick, but there was the heir apparent. There was one player who was, this is the number one pick. This is the guy to get. He's a quarterback. He is head and shoulders above anything we've seen come out of college. And he was talking it over with this other guy who was considering to be the pick. And he says, yeah, he's been sacked uh, uh, 12 times. And the GM corrected him and says, no, it's been 11. He says, no, it was 12. He says that, and four of those times I sacked him. He says, yeah, I already know. I saw your, your uh, highlight reel. I saw the four sacks. He said, well, go watch him again. He says, but don't watch me, the guy who sacked him. He says, watch him. Watch him. Watch how he responds after being sacked. Watch how he responds after he gets some hard times in. And so the GM went back and he, he reviewed the, the footage of the sacks And he suddenly became tuned into something that this quarterback did that he didn't see before. And he realized he may not be as good as I was thinking. There's a great movie clip right there, but you can't see it. (laughs) I tried. I was giving it a shot to to have a lot. But anyway, this is what we all want to do. What will make a good trade? What makes a trade a good one? So here's four things for you. First off, distinguish a trade before it happens. Realize I am making a trade. Because a lot of people make trades and they don't realize they're making a trade. Adam and Eve are the first one for that. They made a trade, didn't realize they were making a trade. 
Lot made a trade, didn't realize he was making a trade. But he made a trade. We sat about it afterwards. Distinguish first off, what am I doing? Am I making a trade? In a trade, I am giving something up to gain something back. Hopefully, of equal or greater value. First off, distinguish a trade before it happens. Secondly, determine its source and value. Who is making the trade? Who is trading with me? And what is the value of the thing I am trading? What is the thing value of the thing I am giving up? If Adam and Eve realized what they were trading and the value of what they were trading, would they ever have done it? Absolutely not. They would never have done it. But they didn't realize it. If they realized who they were making the trade with, would they have done it? No. Would not have done it. You've got to determine the source and you've got to determine the value of the thing you're trading for. And that may take a little bit of time. Don't do things urgently. Be careful. There are times you do have to act urgently, but not always. Not as often as we often think. But it does come up. Um, third, decide to receive or reject. Or it's usually decided for you. Don't just sit on the fence on the thing. Decide, I'm going to receive this trade or I'm going to reject this trade. Nothing is worse than sitting on the fence. How many know people that sit on the fence whether to believe God or not? Well, I mean, what a ridiculous thing to, to do. You sit on the fence and... Well, if you sit on the fence for a long enough time, that decision is going to be made for you. You don't have to make it at all. It's going to be made for you. It, people think that Christians are people of faith. How many think that? Christians are people of faith. No, they're not. Christians... All people are, are people of faith. Christians and non-Christians. It's just that Christians have faith that God exists. Non-believers have faith that God does not exist. People who believe in idols have faith that their God exists. Everyone has faith. You all got faith for something. You are believing right now in either God's existence, another God's existence, or that no God exists at all. Every single person on the face of this earth is believing in one of those things. They may say, well, I just don't get involved in that. You are involved. You are involved. You are involved in the thing. Can you imagine if one of the 11 players on a team or one of the 22 football players out on the field, when the ball's in the, thing, in the air, and they say, I just didn't want to get involved in that. Looked like somebody could get hurt out there. I didn't want to get involved in it. What would happen? They'd be cut from the team. They'd be off the field. No, if you are on the field to play, you are involved. If you are dead, you are no longer involved. But if you are alive, you are in the field to play. And you are involved. Everyone's involved. And everyone has faith. There is no faith people and non-faith people. Everyone's a faith person. Some people have faith in the Big Bang. If God chose it to start that way, that's fine. I'm not saying that he did or didn't do it. I'm just saying some people have faith in the Big Bang. But no one has seen it. We just have faith that it happened. Some people have faith in evolution. But no one has seen it. So therefore, if you haven't seen it, it is by faith. That's all there is to it. It's, it's, it's faith. Got faith in everything. I mean, you came out here in the church and you went over a bridge. You're a faith person. 
You believe that bridge would hold you up? Did you get out and test the bridge? You just drove over the bridge, didn't you? Why? I got faith. What do you what you base that faith on? Well, other people have been driving over the bridge. Didn't seem to fall for them. You still have faith. Still got some faith on there. You ever see those uh, clear bridges they have at the high rises and uh, the little, little patios you can go out on, and it's clear. There's nothing. I mean, it's glass. It's just you just look down. They got one over. I'm told I haven't been out there yet, but I'm told they have one over the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> if I get out to the Grand Canyon, guarantee you I will be out there on that glass bridge. Absolutely. If I was in one of those high rises, had that glass little patio out there, I'm on it. Man, I'd sleep on the thing. I'd think, this is cool. This is great. This would be all right. Because I have faith in that glass holding me up. If you don't want to have faith, don't join me. But I have total faith that that glass will hold me up. I will not doubt for a single moment that that glass will let go. I just won't have any doubts about that. So now you, now you think about this. How many of you have ever been in the bathroom getting ready for a shower and a spider comes running across the floor? How many of you have faith that that spider is after you? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that spider is after me. It's coming, it's, it, it saw me. It's coming after me. It will bite me and I will die. Right? Sure. That you have faith for I see a spider like that, I think, pray. <laughs> Let's try and catch the spider. But you see, we, we all have faith for something. Always. We are always faith people. Put your faith in the right things. Make sure you make the right trade. So distinguish a trade before it happens. Determine its source and value. Decide to receive or reject. You need to make that decision. Am I going to receive God? Am I going to reject God? Am I going to receive heaven? Am I going to reject heaven? Am I going to receive the word of God? Or am I going to reject the word of God? Just make the decision. I made a decision a long time ago. I received the word of God. Whatever's in the word of God is true. If I don't understand it, it's, there's something wrong with me. Here's the last one. Deal or death. Either make the deal or put the thing to death. Don't keep him at home. Oh, I should have gone. Oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Have you done this? I wish I wouldn't have traded in that car for this car. I like that car better. I don't like this car. And we keep going back and visiting it. We keep going back to the day that we made the trade. We keep going. No. Kill the thing. If you made the deal, stick with it. If you didn't make the deal, walk away. Stop going back over. You don't need to do it. How many times have you made a decision? You left something... Whatever it was, and, and it's always coming back to you. Oh, I should have gone back. Oh, I wished I would have done that. Quit it. Either make the deal or put it to death. Don't keep going back. That's what, that'll, that'll hold you up. So make the deal and stick with it or kill it. Get rid of it. Now, what are some trades that I might make? My face. There are some trades that you, you have faced already. You just didn't realize they were, tra- they were, they were trades. I've only written down six, but you can do a whole lot more. you just got to be thinking along this line. First off, I can make a trade of faith for a good report. I can trade off my faith to receive a good report. I've, I've told this to people in, in this church for a long time, and it's, it's one of the easiest things we can forget. How many times have you said with your mouth, 
All right, I am believing God for a good report. Don't raise your hand, but how many times have you ever said that? I am believing God for a good report. It's real easy to fall into that because here's how we get to that place. Well, I'm believing God that I'm healed. I'm believing God that my bill is met. I'm believing God that that situation is taken care of. And so when I get a report, that report is going to come in line with what I'm believing. All right? It's really easy to fall into that. But here's what happens. The devil wants to substitute. He wants to make a trade. Your faith is in the word of God to overcome your situation, finance, health, whatever it might be. That's what your faith is in. He wants to switch it out and get you to make a trade instead of your faith in the word of God. Let's get your faith on what the doctor says. Let's get your faith on what the bank says. Let's get your faith on what the bill collector says. I believe in God that I'll have favor with the bill collector. And the bill collector says, nope, you owe it. And you're, you, you, you switched your faith. You traded. You didn't realize it. But you traded your faith for the word of God for faith that the situation was going to change. Remember that song we sing? We sing it for a reason here. Whose report will you believe? Whose report will you believe? Yeah, believe the report of God. What did God say in his word? God said in his word, I'm healed. God said in his word, he's blessed me. God says in his word, I can meet my bills. That's what he says in his word. Believe that report. I don't care if you go to the doctor and the doctor says, you're going to die in two weeks. Just say, thanks, doc. Appreciate your uh, help on that. And, and just go on. And don't come out and say, oh, I was believing God. See, this is what happens with folks. I was believing God and I know I had faith. I know I was believing God. And here comes this report and they're saying I'm going to die. So? Was your faith in the doctor? Ever? You see, somehow you traded it off. That's how sly the devil is. You've got to watch his schemes because he's very, the word of God says he's more cunning than all. He's very good at scheming this way. But he can be exposed. Don't trade off faith for a good report. I don't need a good report from a doctor to know that I'm healed. I don't need a good report from my bank to know that my finances are taken care of. I don't need a good report from my employer to know that my job's okay. What do I need? Faith in the Word of God. Don't substitute it. Don't trade it off for anything else. Because it's one of the biggest trades the devil likes to make. Here's another one. Our stand for more prayer. When you have done all, the Word of God says, stand. When you have done everything, stand. Here's what we like to do. Well, I've done everything. All I can do is get more people to pray. I'm just going to get on a prayer chain. I'm just going to call up some people. Will you all pray with me that God will do this? But I thought your stand was that God did it. Well, yeah, but, you know, I've just been thinking. I've just been feeling. Dear Lord, folks, why are we basing stuff on feeling and thinking? What do we base it on? The Word of God. And you just made a trade. You traded out your stand because of what you were feeling for something else, for more prayer. Well, I'm getting, well, I have more people to pray. And you can never have too many people praying for you. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You want Bible verse on that? Jesus shows up to the dead girl's house, the dead daughter's house, and there's a whole mess of Jews outside. And he puts them all out of the room. Why? Because we've got too many people here. 
I got some doubters. He puts them out. He gets rid of them. When he goes up to pray by himself, how many people does he take with him? Three. He just wants three people to pray with him. He's got 12 disciples. He takes three of them with him. How many times does he put people away, put people out? Why? Because you don't need all those doubters around. You don't need multiple prayers. The Word of God says the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's one person, man or woman. One person. How many people prayed that the drought of three and a half years would be broken in Elijah's day? How many people prayed? One. One. That's it. How many people were involved in raising the dead man out of the, the, the coffin as it passed by Jesus? One. How many people were involved in Lazarus being raised from the dead? One. Then why do you think you need so many? Stop making the trade. If you have made a stand, make it and stand. Word of God says when you have done all, stand. Don't trade it off. Here's another thing we can trade. Righteousness for righteous acts. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the devil wants to come up. The enemy wants to come up. And he wants you to think, you know what? You need to stop doing this. You need to give up this. You need to quit doing this, then you'll be righteous before God. If you quit cussing, if you quit smoking, if you quit drinking, then you can be righteous before God. No, if you get rid of those things, guess what the devil's going to come along and do? Well, you've got to get rid of this, and you've got to get rid of this, and you've got to get rid of this. I love what uh, Brother Keith Moore said one time. He says, there's no one in hell for smoking. There's no one in hell for cussing. And you know what? He's right. You don't go to hell because you cuss. You don't go to hell because you're smoking or drinking. What do you go to hell for? Because I didn't believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's it. Don't trade righteousness for righteous acts. Because then you get in the problem with Galatians and you're trying to earn your righteousness and your righteousness is as filthy rags. It won't work. Don't make the trade. Hang on to the righteousness that you got. Here's another one. We can make a trade, trade of the love of God for judgment. Someone comes along our path and the thought comes, can you believe that Christian is acting that way? Holy cow. And we think, yeah, I can't believe it. And they're a Christian for how long? Man, I haven't been a Christian half that long and I know better than that. We fell right out of love. We made a trade of walking in love to those people for walking in judgment. Don't make that trade. It's a bad trade. Look at the source. Humility for pride. God says God that he resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Stay on the humble side. We talk, We spent a whole series on that not too long ago. Being humble instead of being in pride. But you will make a trade. When you, when you embrace being proud, being prideful about something, what did you give up? Being humble. You gave that up in order to embrace pride. You made a trade. And you lost. You gave up something far more valuable for something that had no value at all. In fact, what hurt you? Here's the sixth one. Trust in God for security in the world. How many times? Well, don't, you can't just trust in God. You need to do this. You need to act this way. You need to go and, no, trust in 
God. But if you do this, you'll have more security. No, trust in God. Don't, don't give up what you got to get something that's not as good. Or else we said the enemy wants to steal from you. We talked about this back in the last week. I wanted to put it in the outline form just so you'd have it. Three, reasons, three motivations that the enemy steals. The thief steals what has value to the thief because he wants it. He or she wants it. They steal what has value to others because they can sell it. Right? How many times do people steal stuff because they can sell it to a fence? They can sell it to somebody. They can get some money for it. And third, what they don't want you to have. Those are the three motivations I came up with. You understand the motivation of your enemy. You can, under, you can understand how to stop them. You can understand how to stop them. You ever watch those movies? You know when somebody has holding a grudge against somebody else in the movie? And they have no idea why? And no matter what they do, they can't seem to stop it. They can't seem to, to fix them. So what do they do? They go up and say, hey, how come you're mad at me? Well, a long time ago, this happened. See, now we can fix it. Now you can fix it. Why don't you want me to have these things? What is, what's the motivation that, you, that you've got? When something of value has been sown into your life, and here's, a, here's just a, a, a short list of them, uh, the word of revelation, has God ever sown a revelation? Has God ever opened your eyes to see something in the word of God? Has God ever given you a revelation about your life, about your call, about your purpose? A word, a revelation, a miracle. Have you ever received a miracle from God? God did something in your body. God did something in your life. God changed something for you. You received a miracle. A blessing. God has blessed you with something. Wisdom. God has given you wisdom in an area. A promise. God has given you a promise. You shall have this. You shall not have that. This will not happen to you. Some promises are in the word of God. Some promises he has spoken to you. But he's given these things. These are some of the things that God has done. God has given to us. These are things that we have received. The thief will come. And we went over this before. When will the thief come? Immediately. Immediately. As soon as you get something from God, as soon as you get something valuable, someone's going to come and try and get it. Think of it this way. If you won the lottery, and the lottery was $250 million dollars, and the people from the paper come up to you and they say, you just won $250 million. What are you going to do with that money? Well, right now I have a safe in my house and I'm going to lock it all up in the safe. And they carry that in the news and they carry that in the papers. What will happen next? <laughs> Who's coming to call? <laughs> Probably thieves. <laughs> you know, who can get there first? They're coming because they know $250 million is in a very low security home we can we can take care of this we can we can get this you got something to value and they will come you know what let's wait a week and then we'll hit it no why why do they not want to wait a week because somebody else is going to come so it's all about who gets there first right so the thief wants to come immediately if you've received something to value the thief wants to come immediately and that's what jesus says in the parable the sower sows the word Mark chapter 4, verse 14. And these are the ones by the wayside where this word is sown, where they hear, when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. He comes immediately to take the word that was sown in their heart. Whatever you receive the value, immediately the thief will come to steal it. If you've got healing in your body, he is going to try and sow thoughts in your head that you didn't get it. 
If you received a financial miracle, he's going to sow thoughts in your head that you didn't get it. If God blessed you with a new job and it's a good job, he's going to sow thoughts in your head that it's a bad job and no good and you ought to give it up. That's what he's going to do. That's what he does. That's his way. Look at some of the other uh, verses that, that are the same. Uh, same story. Luke chapter 8. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts lest they sh- should believe and be saved. His goal is to get that word out before you believe it. Because if you believe it, he's not going to have a hard time taking it out. Matthew puts it this way in chapter 13, verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. So if you want to know how you can lose it, don't understand it. Don't apply yourself. If you don't understand it, the devil can pull it out. That's what he's telling us there. He goes on to say in Mark, verse 16, like, uh, These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises. For the word's sake, immediately they stumble. So here's another thing. The, the, it couldn't root. It didn't take root. You've got to make sure that the, the, the seed, the thing of value, is not stolen. You've got to make sure that it takes root on the inside of you. You want some application on that? We'll go back to the, to the exercise thing. We'll just say that you decided that you're going to walk. I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk. How many have ever made a decision, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to walk every day? Or are you going to throw anything in there? I'm going to yoga. I saw Jim out there the other day. I drove right by him. He didn't see me at first, but I think he did before I went away. Yeah, he, he got me. I saw him out there walking. He's, he's, you're a pretty good waste in the house, too. You weren't. Yeah, he's a, he's a little waste in the house. He was walking. He's out there walking. If you're going to make that decision that you are going to walk, and you go out there and walk there the first day, you go out there and you walk the second day, you go out there and walk the third day, but the fourth day he's, ah, I'm not going to walk today. I'm not feeling kind of tired. I'm feeling kind of out of it. And eventually it can get out of your system, and you don't get it rooted on the inside. You've got to get it rooted. You have to get it rooted inside of you. I mean, it's got to be a part that, like eating, how many of you will deliberately skip lunch, skip dinner? Say, you know what? I'm just busy today. I'm not going to eat at all. How many of you will skip sleeping at night? That's rooted in you, isn't it? I am going to go to sleep sometime, maybe later than, but I am going to go to sleep. You've got to get it rooted. Running is something that got rooted inside of me. This month, I have missed Three days, and I feel terrible about it. Because I, I, I believe and I expect to run seven days a week. I believe that every day that the sun comes up, I should be out there running. I believe that. That's just rooted in me. I had a, I had a day when, you know, Sunday when, when the, the folks were here. It started early. It went on. I had two hours in the, in the middle, and I was so exhausted that I better get some rest because it's not enough time to go out and run. And so I gave up running to try and get some rest to be ready for the evening meeting. And we're out until later on. And I, I missed that day. I did not like missing that day. I felt badly about missing that day because it's rooted. It felt for me like a whole part of me. It's not something that's not happening. You see, it got rooted on the inside. But you start early on. You start lifting weights. You start doing something. And, you know, three days, four days in, it's not rooted. It's not rooted in you, is, is it? How many of you have a food that you don't like? Pick a food. Brussels sprouts. How many do not like Brussels sprouts? How many of that is firmly rooted on the inside of you? If you see Brussels sprouts on the table, what happens on the inside? Oh, get those away from me. I don't want them. I don't want anything near them. Sauerkraut is on the list for me. So I cannot stand. I don't like to be in the same room. I don't like to be in the same house with sauerkraut. 
I like sauerkraut removed from my presence. It is firmly rooted. Well, just try it. No. No. I will not try sauerkraut. You cannot get me to sour, try sauerkraut. I will never, ever try sauerkraut again. And I prefer not to be anywhere near it. I don't ever want to smell it again. That is firmly rooted on the inside of me. Right? You can't get that out. Now, you get me a food I've never tried before, I might give it a shot. Until, you know, it gets rooted on the inside. You know, I don't like that either. You've got to get it rooted on the inside that you will do this thing. That this is part of you, that I believe this thing. It's got to get rooted. He goes on. And the, the, now, where do we leave off at? Verse 19. Did we get that far? Man. Now, these are the ones sown among thorns that are, hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So not only can not having it rooted, not only can not having it understood, have it, have it pulled out, but if other stuff comes in, it can, it can root it out. It can, it can choke it out. It can take all the stuff, all the attention. Now think of it this way. You've decided I'm going to walk every day. And you're going to walk. And you walk the first day. And you walk the second day. And then at the time that you're supposed to walk, somebody calls you. And you handle the phone call. And then you, uh, you get hungry. Oh, I just make something to eat. And, you, and then you do that. And then somebody comes over to visit. And then you do that. What happened? You had a desire for that thing to go, but other things came in and choked it out, didn't they? Yeah. I love this parable. It's one of my favorite parables. We've got we to gotta learn these things. Let's wrap this up here. Luke chapter 19, verse 12. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And so it was that when he returned, and having received the kingdom, he then commanded those servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much each man had gained by trading. Trading. You can make gains by trading. You can trade what you have to gain something more. But you can also lose by trading. Depends on the source. Who are you trading with? Know the value of what it is that you're trading. God will embark with you upon trades. He said to his disciples, there is not a person on this earth who has not given up families, who has not given up homes, who has not given up riches, who has not given up all these things, who will not have in this life and the one to come. You can make trades with God. You cannot give up something without making that trade, right? Aren't you trading something? God, I'm going to give up having this because you've asked me to. And I'm going to do this. Here's the things that God will ask you. God will ask you some things in his word. God will ask you some things by his spirit. He says, Steve, you need to quit doing that for right now. Whatever it is that God asks you for, when God says, Steve, if you will do this, if his word just says, hey, will you, will you do this? If you'll do it. When we all got born again, God asked us to make a trade. I want you to trade your life for the one that I'll give you. I trade your life for the one that I'll give you. I want you to trade having faith in this world to having faith in me, God. I want you to make that trade. Will you make that trade? 
Will you make the trade to stop believing everything in the word of God, world and believe the things in the word of God? Will you make that trade with me? You see, if we make these trades, there's a great benefit for us. But until we make the trade, we don't get the benefit. Until you wash your hands of the thing that God says to let go, you don't get the benefit of the thing you move on to. You cannot have both. We all know this because if the NFL team says, look, we want to make this trade with you, but we want to hang on to our player while we test out your player in a game. Will anybody do that? No, 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 no. You, you give us your player, we'll give you our player, and we go from there. Until you make the trade, it isn't there. You're not there. Will you make the trade? Would you all stand up with me? With every head bowed, no one looking around. If you're here today and you say, God is asking me to make a trade. He's asking me to make a trade in his word. He's asking me to make, make his trade in my spirit. He's asking me to make a trade somehow. Every head bowed, no one looking around. If you're here today and you say, I have not even yet made the trade to be in the family of God. But here today, I want to make the trade and say, Father God, I trade my life as it is now for the life that you give me. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I receive him as my Savior. If that's you today, if you're going to make that trade, just raise your hand up. If you're going to be here today and you say, all right, I believe that God exists, but I have not become a worshiper of God. I'm going to let go of the things that I do worship, and I'm going to make the trade to worship him. The Word of God says, him only shall you worship. I'm going to give up these other things. God's been dealing with me about worshiping this or worshiping that. I'm going to give them up. I'm going to worship him. If that's you today, raise up your hand. We want to pray for you. God has been dealing with you in the area of faith. I've been having faith in the wrong things. I need to, to change that. I need to have faith in the right things. I need to have faith in his word, not faith in reports, not faith in what my eyes can see, the fields that are green ahead of me. I need to have faith in what he says. That's describing you. Raise your hand up today. Okay. A few hands have been up this time. Father God, you have seen the hands that are up. Some of us have realized that you're asking us to make a trade. Sometimes those trades are in a moment, as with the rich young ruler. He walked away from his trade. As in the man who was by the pool of Bethesda. And he says, I want you to make a trade. Trade your lameness for being healed. Rise up, take up your bed and walk. And he jumped on that trade and he made it. Some of these trades you've been dealing with us for a little while on. And you're just waiting for us to make that decision. As people have been making that decision here today, I thank you, Father, that you've received the trade. The things that we are willing to give up to receive the promise on the things that you have said. You're always good on your promises. And we thank you that we can walk in your way. Each hand that was up here today, you saw what they were up for. You know what you've been doing with them in their spirit. I thank you, Father, they have chosen to respond and to listen. For those who didn't raise their hand, you may be dealing with us in the time to come. We may be more mindful now of some trades that are on the table. We may be more mindful of some trades that we've made that we didn't realize we were making. But we'll be mindful now. We don't want to trade what has been a blessing to us for something 
that will not be benefit or gain. We thank you for the help that you give us in this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Glory to God. How many uh, praise reports we got today? Let's hear what God is, is doing. Oh, we got, I got, we got a few more coming. Go ahead and read them. I'll, I'll collect the rest of them. There's um, a bunch of praise reports here. Um, Susan said that uh, her neighbor and father-in-law, <coughs> his father-in-law, installed a new toilet for her um, for much less than what, oh, for uh, like a quarter of what she would have paid for um, having a professional come out to do that. So she had favor. Yeah, with I saw that on Facebook. Favor with them right there. How many of you know it's nice to save money? Praise God. Um, her congressman also came to her door. They had a wonderful chat about what's happening in the country, and now a member of Congress has her has a copy of her book called The Moses Conspiracy. She was able <laughs> to provide that for him. Praise God. Isn't that Amen. good? Amen. Um, this one was from Candy. She. Um, I guess it was from arthritis. She had arthritis in her hands, and she had prayer while Jay was here. And now every morning she wakes up, and there is no pain or stiffness in her hands. And that's much relief. If you've ever suffered with that, you know that's it's a great relief when that's gone. Um, Vanessa says, I thank God for my healing, my mother's healing, and for answers during the meetings last week. Praise God. It's nice to see your mom here running across the front of the room. No pain in that knee. Um, Daryl said, a friend that I've been inviting for years asked about coming to church. She said she's coming with certainty. Praise God. How many of you have had opportunities to speak to people now about coming out and, and inviting them and speak to them about the word and being bolder? Um, in fact, that's my, my praise report. I've had an opportunity to share the gospel with someone this week, and they are very open and very excited, and I expect to see them here. Praise God. Um, Ethel says, I praise God for excellent teaching that gives me the ability to speak boldly and confidently to those things that try to make her um, make her believe that things are, are contrary to what the Word of God says. She had to rebuke her knee several times this week and remind it that it's healed. Just like Pastor was saying this morning, you know, the enemy's going to come and try and steal that healing from you right away. Um, and what does the Bible call about the talk about them? They're lying signs and wonders. You're already healed. Amen. Mandy said she's going to visit Lamar this week. Oh, praise God. Woohoo! <laughs> oh, I'm excited about that. Okay, not going to cry yet. That's awesome. <laughs> um, Alyssa said she had a particularly detailed and labor-intensive wedding yesterday, and that was all the way up in Lancaster. At the end of the night, there was some confusion and frustration among families and vendors. Um, the bride and groom had already left, so as coordinator decisions fell to me, I ended up having to stay well beyond the contracted time with no intention to bill or even approach the couple about it. At 8 a.m. today, I received a text from my bride thanking me for my help and stating she heard about the confusion from her family, and she said that they will be sending me another check to cover her extra time and efforts. Praise God. Um, Chris Barnish said, when Jay was here, we prayed for the healing of my daughter. Um, she is healed. And her baby is perfect. She's expecting a baby. Praise God. So you're going to be Grandma Chris. Amen. You know, as we were sitting here, um, how many of you can say that you've already recognized areas in your life where you've traded something? Can You've traded something. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about was um, as we begin to grow and mature in the things of the Word, you know, God will ask us either through the Word, either through the spoken Word to you, to trade something. And a lot of times we don't view that as becoming more consecrated to him. 
but that's exactly what it is. As we continue to trade things in line with his word and in line with what um, we know is right, we become more consecrated to him. And that's when I realized, too, that there's much more power that's available to us as we get more consecrated. One of the things that he had asked me to do years ago, I was holding bitterness and anger in my heart towards some people that really, really wronged me. And I felt very, very justified in it. And one time in prayer, he very, and I know I've shared this before, but he very boldly said to me, what are you willing to do for the anointing? And at the moment, you know, I was saying, I'm digging my heels in. I'm going to stand exactly here because they were wrong. And what I realized is in my heart that if I didn't get rid of that bitterness, if I didn't get rid of that anger, if I didn't get forgiveness flowing in there somehow, then the anointing that he wanted to flow through me wasn't going to happen because it was setting up that wall um, between me and him. And he knew by asking me, what are you willing to do? He was willing to have his power flow. He was willing to anoint me, but I was the hiccup in the road. So when he asked me, what are you willing to trade I want this for you, but what are you willing to do for me or to, to, to receive it? And so I had to humble myself and say, Lord, I forgive and begin to pray for them. And how many of you know your flesh will act up and say, I really don't want to do this. I really don't like them. But, you know, when your heart is more toward God, then eventually you can become more loving toward them. Eventually, he turns that bitterness into times of prayer and times of blessing for them. So that was my trade-off that I was thinking about while you were. And I'm like, why am I thinking about this? I woke up actually this morning thinking about this. I'm like, why am I thinking about this? I don't like to think about things that happened before, you know, when you you were hurt. But, you know, God will always remind you of there's a good trade-off. If you give me that negative thing, I can give you something good. You know, and I was thinking about the picture. How many of you have seen this on Facebook? Jesus is bow is kneeling down, and he's got this huge teddy bear, stuffed teddy bear behind his back. And there's a little girl in front of him with this little tiny teddy bear, and he's going like this. And she's like, I don't want to give you my teddy, but he's got this huge one behind his back. And that was the picture that I thought of just now is that, you know, when God asks us to give up something, it's always because he's got something better. No matter how valuable or how wonderful we think that thing is that we've got, he's got something better. There's always something better behind door number two. (laughs) Amen. So that's what I was thinking about with the will.